Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at vedanta.org. Om Hasatoma Sadagamaya Tamaso Homaham Johoti Gamaya Ritur Mam Amritam Gamaya Avir Ahavir Maidhi Rudra Yate Dakshinam Mukaha Te Namaham Pahinityam Om, lead us from the unreal to the real. Lead us from darkness unto light. Lead us from death to immortality. And reach us through and through ourselves. And evermore protect us from ignorance by thy sweet, compassionate face. And my subject this morning is, what is enlightenment? The idea of enlightenment in the East comes to us out of the framework of the wisdom of the East, always refers to the goal of spiritual striving and the very pinnacle of spiritual attainment. In order to understand this concept of enlightenment, we really have to go back to the very fundamental teaching of this Vedanta philosophy, and that is that you are a divine, immortal soul. You are not the flesh and blood body, which is born, grows old, and dies. You are not your feelings, your emotions, your passions, your sentiments uh, that arise like waves in the lake of the mind. You are not the thoughts and beliefs that you hold. You are not the role that you play in the melodrama of life. You are not the person that you think yourself to be. The person is just what the Greeks called the persona. It's like a megaphonic mask that you wear in order to relate to the external world. The teaching of the Vedanta philosophy is, is that you are not a material, corporeal being. You are not a mental mind being, but that you are a spiritual being. And by definition, the word spiritual means the spirit is by definition metaphysical, transpersonal, transcendental, and spirit is unlimited. Spirit is by definition infinite. That is, it is free from all relativity and all limitation. The spirit is what in Western philosophy is called the absolute. It's one only without a second. The spirit is not something that you can become. 
spiritual life is not about becoming. It's about being. It's about being who you really are. And you already are a divine immortal soul. You already are a spiritual being. You already are infinite. You already are perfect. Because you are infinite, you contain everything within yourself. Your true self, that is the Atman, is defined as one only without a second. There's nothing outside of itself. It's beyond relativity. It's absolute. It contains within itself everything. And for that reason, your natural state is to be completely fulfilled, satisfied, happy, joyful. There's nothing wanting within you. There's nothing needful. You have no limitation. Your joy is infinite. We can never find happiness and joy in anything which is limited. That's why we always seek the truth of our true nature, which is to be infinite. So this is the teaching of the Vedanta philosophy, the nature of the self, the nature of our true self. Sanskrit word is the Atman, that is your true self. Now, when we hear this uh, teaching, that you are a divine immortal soul, we have a natural, affirmative, intuitional response. Sounds good. But we know, too, that uh, we hear that we are infinite, immortal, eternal, omniscient, omnipotent, but we don't feel that way. In fact, we often feel as if we are, we're very finite. We're very limited. We don't feel that infinity, that, that immortality in our heart and in our inner being. Rather, we feel limited. We feel lacking in knowledge. We feel very mortal. We feel very vulnerable. And therefore, the goal and purpose of spiritual life is this, well, the reason for this is because we're kind of suffering from, we're alienated from ourselves. We're alienated from our true self. We're suffering from a sort of metaphysical amnesia, and therefore the purpose of spiritual life is to regain our lost memory of who we really are, to re-identify with our true self, and to begin to feel within our heart, and to begin to experience the truth and reality of our self. This experience is what is called enlightenment. Now, let me tell you a story about enlightenment. There were 10 brothers who were on pilgrimage from South India, and um, they were journeying towards the sacred uh, Tirthas in the north. And they uh, traveled over Hill and Dale until they came to the river in Armada. And there that river, they found, was in full flood. There were no ferry boats plying in the water. And there you look there, you see branches and trees flowing that very swift current, a wide, steep, swift-flowing river. They realized, what can we do? We have to get to the other side, continue our pilgrimage. So the eldest brother, he decided, he said, well, look, well, what we'll do is we'll divide up here 
And uh, it's every man for himself. And just uh, spread, we'll spread ourselves out here on the banks of the river. And each one uh, just wade in, just struggle, try your best, swim your cross with what you can, of your belongings, what you can carry, hold on to. And then we'll, when you reach to the other side, we'll all gather together and uh, see that all we've all crossed safely. So with that agreement, one by one, they spread out, and one by one, they waded into that swift, flowing river, struggled and strived, were carried downstream and holding on to their belongings. One by one, they managed to swim across the river, climb up on the banks, and uh, listen there. They heard their calling, their elder brother had calling to them. And so one by one, they began to make their way towards the call of the eldest brother who had reached, also reached the other side. And when they had gathered together, the eldest began to let's make sure that we're all here. And so he began to count. He said, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine? But we were ten. We were ten brothers, now we're nine. That means one of us must have been lost in that swift-flowing river. What a terror. Well, well, that's terrible. What a catastrophe. And it just impacted all the brothers. The eldest brother himself was just devastated. And he fell into a deep depression. He began to grieve. And at that time, it so happened that there was a wise man who was traveling by that way. And he'd observed the brothers there, and they're gathering together, and they're counting. And uh, so he stopped, and he went over to the group, and he said, yes. He said, well, what seems to be the problem here? And the eldest brother said, well, you say we were ten, and now we crossed over that river. One of us was lost. We're only nine. Is that so, said the wise man. He looked around. He said, well, uh, why don't you count again? And the eldest brother said, well, we counted. All right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And then the wise man came over, tapped him on the chest, said, and thou art the tenth. And the, the eldest brother, he looked at, yeah, yeah, you know, I forgot to count myself. And the other brothers looked at, yeah, what a foolish mistake. How silly. And said all of their, their grief. Their suffering disappeared, vanished. They began to smile. They began to laugh. What a, what a silly mistake. So that's the teaching story of the parable of the tenth man. The tenth man in the story forgets himself. He forgets to count himself. This is ignorance is grieved, and he cries because he thinks that one of the ten brothers has been lost. And this idea of loss is what's called a dhyasa, superimposition. He superimposed a wrong idea on his mind. When he is told by a competent person, that is by the wise man, when he is told that the tenth man is not dead, and that there may be a mistake 
Now he has indirect knowledge. And when the wise man taps him on the chest, saying, and thou art the tenth, now he has direct knowledge. And as a result of that direct knowledge, that is, he's recalled himself, all of his grief and his suffering disappears, and he finds perfect peace and happiness and joy. So this is enlightenment. Enlightenment is a word. Enlightenment is all about light. Light is uh, a metaphor in all of the traditions, spiritual traditions of the world. Light is a metaphor for knowledge. And we say to someone who can't understand something and who doesn't get the idea, uh, suddenly he gets the idea, we say, yeah, the light went on. That is, the light removed the ignorance. The light removed uh, the darkness. So light is a metaphor for knowledge. And in spiritual life, as in all of our secular life, we're talking about our context of spiritual life, begins with a kind of enlightenment. That is, our spiritual life, we, we begin to, somehow we come to understand and believe that there is some higher reality, that there must be more to life than, than the, world, uh, the, the world of the senses. There must be more to myself than just my body and my mind. That's an awakening of spiritual consciousness. That's a great threshold crossing in spiritual life. At some point, the light kind of went on, that no, there's something greater. There's something more to life, and thus we seek out soul, God, and religion. We become interested in pursuing uh, spiritual life. And uh, certainly when we discover, the course of our journey, when we discover a philosophy, like the Vedanta philosophy, which will uh, enlighten us and answer a lot of our questions and give us some direction and purpose and guidance, that's a kind also of a, of a mini enlightenment. It's an enlightenment experience. A lot of our confusion, of our, of our darkness is uh, lost. And certainly in the course of spiritual life, many lights will go on. That is, we will have, as we begin to meditate and do introspection and spiritual practice, we'll naturally have insights, we'll have uh, intuitions, we'll have epiphanies. Uh, it's natural that we will come to see the light of many things that we didn't understand. We'll come to maybe to have visions of light gods and goddesses, come to... Um, begin to feel the light of, of consciousness become, becoming more manifest within us. These are all kind of enlightenments, kind of mini enlightenments along the way. But in the Indian philosophy, when they speak about enlightenment, we're really not talking about those satori states which occur along the way, but we're talking here about enlightenment with a capital E. And by that enlightenment, what we mean is knowledge of the Atman, knowing your true self. This knowledge of the Atman, it is called, this is what is enlightenment, 
Enlightenment means self-knowledge, true self-knowledge, self-realization, realizing your true self. Remember the real and the apparent man, not the persona, not the flesh and blood body, but the real man which transcends the apparent man. This idea of knowledge, of self-knowledge in particular, is a very important, that is, it is a major fundamental theme of the Vedanta philosophy. In traditional Vedanta philosophy, it is the only theme. That is, it's the focus of our spiritual practice, is to attain right knowledge. And the idea of the old traditional teaching of the Vedanta philosophy is, is that your basic problem is not that you're not the self, you're already the self, but you lack knowledge. You don't know yourself. Therefore, you're under the veil of a vidya, that is ignorance. Your project is not to become yourself, but to remove ignorance. Now, how do you remove ignorance? Well, Ignorance is just darkness. And the only way that you can remove darkness is by light. If you were to go into a very dark room and you can't see anything and you're stumbling around and you have a problem, it's very dark in here. What can I do? And so maybe you just sit down and you begin to pray to God. Oh, dear God, please help. It's like you open your eyes. It's still dark. Can't see what's going on. Maybe you begin to meditate on your inner true self. You close your eyes again. You begin to meditate on the inner light. You open your eyes, no light. You begin to, what can I do? Other people are stumbling around in here. Maybe help them to their seats. Help to make the world a better place to live. Arrange the chairs in the dark room. It's still stumbling around. You still haven't solved the basic problem. No matter how much good you happen to do in that dark room, you still haven't solved the problem. The problem is the darkness. And the only way that you can remove darkness is by turning on the light. That's the light of self-knowledge. That is knowledge. You have to have knowledge of your true self. Now, this is the theme of the ancient teachings of the Upanishads. And of course, the teaching there is that there are two kinds of knowledge. Shaunaka, the disciple, he approached Ungeras, and he was in search of knowledge. And he was a vastly learned disciple. And he came to his teacher, and he said, Sir, I've uh, spent my life in studies. I know the Rig Veda, Yajur Veda, Samaveda, Tarva, Chikshakal, Puvyakarnam, Niruktam, Chando, Jyotishamedi. These are all the different kinds of domains of knowledge in ancient time. He studied all that. He knew everything. They say that knowledge removes ignorance. He says, but I'm still unhappy. I still don't have the joy within my heart. I have so much knowledge. And then the teacher, Ungiras, instructs him in the Mundaka Upanishad, saying, well, you see, uh, there's two kinds of knowledge. There is the lower knowledge, and there is the higher knowledge. There's the lower knowledge, and there is the higher knowledge. And... Uh, as students of the Vedanta philosophy, you're going to find, as serious students, you're going to find that in your pursuit of 
clarifying your belief system, that this word, English word, what we call knowledge, that there's some systematic ambiguity in what, what, what do we mean by knowledge? Do we mean vishaya jnana? Sanskrit word here is jnana. Even in Sanskrit, the word is ambiguous because we have vishaya jnana, knowledge of objects. And uh, we also have atma jnana, knowledge of the self. So there is the lower knowledge and there is the higher knowledge, the lower knowledge which we could call in data, information, knowledge. You know, there's a progression there. Data, information, you organize the information, now you have knowledge. You have organized information. That's what we call knowledge. But they're not talking here. That's the lower, Ungira says, that's the lower knowledge. The higher knowledge is one step beyond. That would be called wisdom. So maybe we can make a distinction in our understanding of what they mean by knowledge. To use the English words here, and by the way, the same ambiguity holds in Sanskrit. Don't think that, any, uh, that there's any kind of hidden Sanskrit words that, that, that resolve this, this ambiguity. Not at all. That's part of our problem in understanding Vedanta philosophy, by the way, is, is that for every one Sanskrit word, there may be ten English words. And uh, therefore we say, well, what do you mean? Because we got a list of 10 things. You mean, they only have one word. Well, they said, jnana, jnana. Well, we say, do you mean jnana? Do you mean this? Do you mean this? We go down the list. So therefore we have to sort out, as English speakers, we have to sort out in what sense. See, this idea of a dictionary, I mean, like, like, like the Oxford English Dictionary that's organized with a progression of sen senses, that etymology as it's evolved from one of these, a totally modern production. Maybe, maybe it would be helpful to get back to our point. To helpful first to understand what is enlightenment. By enlightenment, what do we mean? We mean self-knowledge. In order to understand that, maybe it's helpful to make a distinction in English between knowledge and, as commonly understood, and realization, knowledge and realization. And uh, see, when these yogis talk about knowing something, say that you want to know, uh, you look up your, uh, in ancient time, the yogis, you want to know what's the sun. Say that we want to know the sun. Well, you, you obviously, you go to university and you study astronomy and you get in a telescope and you, and you read about the sun and you, and, you, and you take courses on the sun. You're to, you'll get all the information about the sun. But for the yogis, that, that's not what they mean. They, don't, they say to, that, to, that to know something is direct experiential knowledge. In order to know the sun, you have to be the sun. Therefore, the only way that you can really know the essence of the sun is to meditate on the sun and to become the sun. That's, that's, their, that's their thought. So, knowledge and realization. Let me give you an example. Sri Ramakrishna in the gospel speaks about two men who uh, one day they went to, into an orchard, mango orchard. Now here it's the peak of the mango season. All the mangoes are, are ripe and fragrant on the trees. One of the men... And he gets into that orchard, he looks around, he sees all of those trees of mangoes, and he gets very excited. He reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a calculator. And he's a businessman, you see. He sells mangoes and fruits in the, in the market. 
looks at all those mangoes. He starts calculating. This tree, how many, how many mangoes on this tree, putting it all into his calculator and uh, figuring out what profit he will make when he was able to harvest all of these mangoes. Meanwhile, his friend, he just sees those mangoes, and he rushes over to the first mango tree, climbs up the tree, picks up a delicious ripe mango, and just stuffs it in his mouth. He starts eating the mango. So now which one of those, you see here we have the higher, what's the point of the story? The point of the the parable there is is that... uh, the higher and the lower knowledge. That is, one of them has kind of an indirect, intellectual, statistical, conceptual knowledge, and the other has a, a direct experiential knowledge, direct perception of the mango fruit. It's this aspect. Now, remember, every analogy is eka deshika. That means it doesn't rest on all four feet. There's only one thing about it that's analogous. All the other stuff in the story is not analogous. So the point about this story is is that this is direct, immediate perception of the object, of the thing to be known. He's eating the mangoes. And so self-knowledge, see, they're trying to understand. What do we mean by self-knowledge? By self-knowledge, here I mean then something which is immediate and direct knowing. Not indirect knowing about, but knowing it directly. In Sanskrit, it's called aparokshanubhuti, which just means direct perception. Now, in the philosophy of mind, when they're talking about artificial intelligence, they give another example that may help us to understand what we mean here by knowing. What do we mean by knowing ourself? See, the question here is a deeper question, which is now on the cutting edge of philosophy of mind, which is what is consciousness, really? Our self is what? Our consciousness. What is consciousness? And we can imagine a thought experiment in which there is a great color vision scientist. Her name is Mary. And Mary is the world authority on color vision. She has spent her whole life uh, studying everything there is to know about optics, and about spectral analysis, and about the neurological effects of light. She knows everything. She's the world authority on color vision. But Mary has spent her whole life in a black and white room. Studying all of her knowledge and her information has been read off of a computer, black and white monitor, And that's how she's learned. One day, someone comes to her door, opens the door, invites her to leave that room. And uh, when she does so, she walks out the door, and she looks up into the sky, and she sees the blue sky. She looks at the garden, and she sees the red roses, and she knows what red is like. She knows what blue is like. And the question there then arises in the thought experiment is, what did Mary know? She was already the world authority on optic vision. What did she know that was not in the books? The answer there, in philosophy of mind anyhow, is, is that, well, she knew what it was like to see the red color. 
She knew what it was like. That is, she had a subjective awareness, which she couldn't learn from that black and light monitor. She had something in addition to all that information was that immediate, subjective, personal awareness that she got when she opened her eyes and she saw the blue sky and the red color. So she knew what it was like to feel, to be aware of blue and of red. Similarly, it is with us as human beings. We're conscious beings. We have that intuitional self-knowledge. A computer doesn't know what it's like to see red. An AI doesn't know what it's like to see the blue sky. It's only a conscious being that has the direct, intuitive, immediate knowledge. We're trying to zero in on what do we mean then by self-knowledge. You see self-knowledge. You can see the difficulty of what the yogis and the jnanis are trying to do. Because when we talk about knowledge, we're using in our language, we live in the relative world. We live in the world of the pairs of opposites. We don't live in the absolute. Everything in our consciousness is part of the pairs of opposites. Therefore, when we talk about knowing, we always talk about triputi. Triputi means like a stick, right? There's a subject, there's the object, and then there's the knowing. So just imagine a stick, you have, a, you have the one end is the subject, the other end is the object, and in the middle you have the process of knowing. That's what knowledge is. And, uh, but in the case of self-knowledge, you have a problem. Self-knowledge is not an object, there's no stick. And so how are we to understand what's the knowledge? That's what they're trying to get at. You have to know something without knowing it in the sense of triputi jnana. That is, it's not known as an object. And uh, how do you know it? Well, this is why in philosophy and in metaphysics, we're trying to explain that experience of self-knowledge, enlightenment. Now, we can see a sense object with the eyes of the flesh. We can see the truth of a proposition with the eye of the mind. But to see and to experience the self, we need to have recourse to the eye of the spirit. The eye of the spirit. What does that mean? Okay. Well, the problem here is, is, is that the eye can see everything. How do we see things? We see things with the eye. But how can you see the eye? The eye can't see itself. The hand can't grasp itself. The sword can't cut itself. So how can we see the eye? Well, see means know. How can we know ourself? Well, the only way, possible way, that we could know ourself would be uh, in reflection. That is, we could get a mirror. The eye couldn't see itself, but maybe the eye could get a mirror and look in the mirror and see a representation of itself. So the purpose here is self-knowledge. This self-knowledge is the, uh, oh my, you see, we're good. Let's come back here to enlightenment. What is enlightenment? Enlightenment is self-knowledge. Self-knowledge. Still some confusion, right? Okay. This offering food for thought. That's the question. Huge philosophical questions. So that's the question. But now we have defined at least self-knowledge is, is knowledge of yourself. We see that's a problem. How can the eye know itself? 
You say you can look in a mirror, but we've already said it's direct perception, not indirect perception. So there's some confusion. But the point is, let's, let's uh, leave that for a, a moment. And let's go to return here to the idea of enlightenment. We began by saying that enlightenment is in Eastern wisdom, and we're talking here about Vedanta philosophy. When we say, when I'm talking here about Eastern wisdom here, self-knowledge, is the goal and purpose of our life. The, the tenth man in the story, he realized himself. He realized he'd forgotten himself, and then he recalled, and he had remembrance of his self. And it's this self-remembrance and self-realization that is the goal and purpose of our life. Now, this is the thesis of the wisdom of the East. Now, see, everybody you would meet, everybody, and they've done straw polls going around uh, in interviewing people, you know, about the goals of life. Is it important to have a goal? Every, everyone will admit pretty much that you don't just want to wander around lost in life, that it's important for us to have goals. Pretty much everyone will admit that. But um, the Vedanta philosophers are making a stronger claim. And that is that not, that not that this is a good goal, but that this is the goal and purpose of our life. They're not saying that this goal, self-knowledge, self-realization, that is enlightenment, is not, uh, is not, it's not that it should be your goal. This is not a teaching, a dogmatic teaching that comes down from on high. The Pope says that you should do this. No, is it not like that. The appeal here is not to authority. The appeal is to your own mind and heart and to your own reason. Because what is it that everybody and everything, every created thing in the universe is struggling to do every moment of every day? It's str they're struggling to be what they really are. This is before you read any books on physics or psychology or anything. As a presupposition of all that, Everything's, everything in the natural, the natural tendency is to struggle to be what it already is. Now, uh, rocks have no problem. Trees, uh, cows have no problem. They are who they are. It's only man. We have a kind of a, we're kind of in a tread that's a tragedy of human life that we don't know who we are. We don't know our true self. We're alienated from ourselves. We're forgetful of ourselves. We're in the dark about what we are, and therefore we're in an ongoing identity crisis. We're struggling to be who we really are. But the point here is that the goal is to discover that. That's the goal of our life. And um, we can never rest content until we realize our true self. Now, there's some people, let me give you, a, a, let me give you an objection to this idea. There are new age teachers who, uh, in the course of your reading in comparative religion, no doubt you've read, um, there are some uh, teachers who will say that seeking after enlightenment is foolish. Seeking after enlightenment and self-knowledge is really misguided because you're already the self. You're already infinite. You're already perfect. Uh, you are the Atman. That's already who you are. You don't need to become anything different from what you already are. And so uh, you can't attain yourself. 
Like the, like the Zen Buddhists say, attaining Buddhahood is like trying to attain your feet. What? You already, have your, you already are your feet. You already have feet. You don't need to attain anything. And you remember how Sri Ramakrishna in the gospel speaks about a man. Man got up in the middle of the night, and he, uh, he wanted to smoke his pipe. So what he did is uh, he thought, uh, yeah, I don't, I've got to get some light, a light for my pipe. So he went downstairs, and he took a lantern, a lighted lantern he had. And he went outside, opened the door, went outside, and he walked down the street. Everyone's asleep down the block. He went down one or two houses, knocked on the door. No one answered. Shines his light up there. Hello, hello, no one there. He goes to the next house. Hello, no one answers. Third house he goes, knock, knock. Finally, a window opens upstairs. Yes? Sorry to bother you, says the man, but I have to have smoke. I need to have a light for my pipe. Can you give me a light? And the man upstairs, he looks down. He said, what? You, you foolish, ridiculous, what a ridiculous, foolish, ridiculous. You are, you have a lighted lantern in your hand. Why didn't you use that? What are you bothering everybody else for? The foolish man seeking for light when he held a lighted lantern in his hand. So the argument here is among a certain Neo-Edwitan teachers, that you don't need to seek for enlightenment. But this is a big mistake, because we have to make a distinction, a conceptual distinction here, between knowing and being. Now, it's true, you do not have to become the self. You do not have to change and to become anything different than you are. You already are the self. You don't have to become the self. Your problem is not that you're not the self. Your problem is you don't know that you're the self. Your problem is you're not enlightened. You're already the self. You're already infinite. You're already perfect. You're already omniscient, divine, uh, omnipresent, uh, um, omnipotent. But we don't know it. We don't have that knowledge. That's what we seek. We're not seeking being. We're seeking knowledge. Let me, let me just continue this thought. That we're, we're seeking here knowledge. It's self-knowledge. Enlightenment is what we want. The goal of our life is not to become the self, not to become the Atman. The goal of our life is to achieve enlightenment. Enlightenment is an event. It's an experience that happens in your mind. Now, it may be, remember back there about the mango, story about the mango. And you remember the guy, one guy who's doing all this calculating, who's thinking, thinking, thinking about the mangoes. And the other man who just climbs up the tree and begins to eat the mangoes. Of course, in that, in, in that metaphor, in that story, the man eating the mangoes is the man who's experiencing directly, that is, he's the enlightened person. And you may think, when you, when you try to unpack that analogy, that enlightenment is all about getting out of your head and getting into your senses. The problem with the guy with the calculator, he's thinking too much. And the man eating the mangoes, there's no intellectual activity at all. So you may think the point of the story is you've got to get out of your head. 
Stop thinking, stop intellectualizing, stop all this studying of philosophy and metaphysics and all that. Forget all that. And um, just come to your senses. I mean, you could put that interpretation on the story, right? But that would be a misinterpretation of the analogy. Because the Atman, the purpose of the story is to say that what we're trying to realize, we want to realize direct, intuitional, immediate knowledge of that thing. In that sense, it's like eating a mango. But the Atman, yourself, is not like a mango. You can't hold it in your hand. You can't stuff it in your mouth. It's a subject. It's not an object. And so uh, you have to... The not when we talk here about self-knowledge, we're not talking here about knowing a sense object. The purpose here is not to somehow get out of our mind and to get into our sense, sensory awareness of the world of objects. All knowledge is in the mind. Self-knowledge is in the mind. You are not in the mind. Your true self is not in the mind. But the knowledge is in the mind. The enlightenment is in the mind. The enlightenment is an experience that you have in your mind. That's what you're trying to get. You're trying to change your mind so that your mind will reflect like a mirror that which is not a sense object, which is the eye, which can't see itself. And therefore, we say, it takes place in the mind. It's an intuitional experience that takes place in the mind. I'll give you one more analogy to understand this, given by the yoga psychology. Yoga psychology pictures our mind. Here's the scenario. There is a lake. The lake, the wind is blowing, and the lake is in great turmoil. There's waves, the choppy waves. The light of the sun is reflecting on the lake, and the light is all fragmented and dancing all over the surface of the lake. And the light, which we say is a metaphor for knowledge, that is, uh, the light may think, I am in turmoil. I am in turmoil. It identifies with the lake of the mind. We are identified with our body and mind. So the I, see I in Vedanta, who is your I? Your I is the chidabhasa. That means the reflection of the sun in the water. The I, I think, I am in turmoil. But what happens is that as you begin to do spiritual practice, the, the, the storms cease because the water becomes clear, the lake becomes calm, a calm, placid lake. Gradually, the, the reflection becomes clear. The reflection is no longer a, uh, just a mess. It coalesces. You begin to become more clear as to who you really are. And at some point, the reflection realizes that I, I am the sun. I am the sun. Now, what's happening is the sun has the... What's happened there? Has the sun changed? No. Sun is still shining. Nothing's changed. But the reflection has... There's been a shift of identity. The reflection now sees and realizes that it really is the sun. I am the sun. Formerly he thought, I am the mind. Now he thinks, I am the sun. And uh, that's enlightenment. The chida basa, that is the I, the person. Who is this person? That's you. That's the person asking the question. And so you become, that's what enlightenment 
Enlightenment means that your identity has shifted. Where has it happened? It happens in your mind. You have not changed. You're the sun shining in the sky. Nothing's changed with you and your true self. But your knowledge has changed. You've removed false knowledge. Let me close here with the idea. Let's go back to the 10th man. It may be that you think the 10th man is a guy who is that all you need to do in order to attain enlightenment, that all you really need to do is to be lucky like that 10th man. That 10th man was a very lucky man. It just happened that there was a saint, sage, passing by that way, who saw his mistake, came over, tapped him on the shed, bam, he got enlightenment. You may think like that. As a matter of fact, that there are many people who do think like that. Spiritual aspirants who spend their life, or a good, good part of their time, traveling around the world looking for people who will tap them on the chest like that. Give them an awakening of spiritual kind. Give them an awakening of, of, of self-knowledge. But yeah, see, we have to unpack the story of the 10th man. In that story, it's assumed that the 10th man is an adhikari. That means he is a person who has done spiritual practice. He represents a person, symbolically, who has done a lot of spiritual practice. He's an adhikari, that is, he is an adept in all the foundational practices of spiritual life. He has, he has viveka, he has vairagya, he has all the six treasures of personal, moral, and ethical virtues. He has longing for liberation. He has all of these sterling qualities that make the ground fertile and fit for sowing seeds. That's why when the guru comes along and says, thou art the tenth, bam, he realizes that's true. But the guru is important. But the guru is a necessary cause, but it is not. The guru is not a sufficient cause. The guru telling you, you are the tenth, that is not sufficient to awaken your spiritual consciousness. You have to do sadhana. You have to have your mind prepared, otherwise you will not understand what, what those words mean. And the fact is, is that there is no spiritual teacher. You know, in, others, in order to know what those words mean, you have to have done spiritual practice. You have to have done sadhana. You have to control your own mind and heart. No one can give you those things. No spiritual teacher can give you discrimination and renunciation. No spiritual teacher, no guru can give you a virtue and good character. No one can do that. That's like impossible. No teacher can give you self-control. No guru or teacher or enlightened saint, saint can come and zap you and hit you with a stick and zap you into enlightenment. Can't happen. The only thing that removes ignorance is light. That is knowledge. Someone has to give you the knowledge. And you have to understand the knowledge. Having understood the knowledge, that knowledge will remove the ignorance. And you will discover the truth of your own self. Om Dyo Shantihi. Antariksha shantihi, prithivi shantihi, apa shantihi, o shadaya shantihi, vanaspataya shantihi.
Vishwe Deva Shantihi Brahma Shantihi Saravam Shantihi Shantireva Shantihi Same Shantiredhi Om Shantihi 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 Om Peace is in heaven, peace is on the earth, peace is in the sky and in the waters. The herbs and plants and trees are full of peace. The gods are peaceful. May this eternal universal peace enter our souls and beings. Om, peace, peace, peace be unto us all. You've been listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Thanks for listening.